You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious Lord, we thank you that uh, despite our own failures, uh, you are the God who prevails and preserves and sustain us uh, by your mercy. Uh, so we look to Jonah this morning, Lord, as sort of a paradigm example, Lord, of how we flee you, uh, but how you're always gracious and kind to your people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, we've got a three-week series here. Uh, of course, you saw the title, and perhaps that drew you here, or perhaps you just love the dean's class. Uh, a handful of you might even like me. We'll see. But um, Craig wanted to do a series, uh, Dean Smalley, um, and perhaps, you know, I'll do three weeks, and maybe someone else will piggyback and carry it on if, if it works, but you all remember that book, Profiles in Courage? Many of you might have had to read that in school. And we got to thinking, you know, uh, I'm not the most courageous of people uh, at all times. And I thought, what if we did a, a series on profiles in failure? And so, of course, Scripture is uh, just littered with failures. Uh, and that's the life of faith, right? We, um, despite our efforts, uh, we often fall flat on our face. And sometimes... Uh, in the case of Jonah, we run uh, in the opposite direction of where God is calling us. And yet God's word and God's will prevails. And so we're using Jonah today uh, as sort of an example of that. Over the next two weeks, I'm jumping around a bit, so we'll do uh, Abraham next week, Abram slash Abraham. And then the week after, I'm going to conclude my three weeks uh, with Jacob. I'm going to skip over Isaac. He'll get some mention uh, but I really want to spend some time with Jacob. And actually, I preached on uh, that text from Genesis this morning on Jacob wrestling with, with God, as it turns out. The man who, uh, we, we kind of sorted it out the other day. We, I, I'm with you, David. That's a theophany. Uh, so God showed himself to Jacob in the night. So that'll be week three. And then from there, uh, the Spirit can take it uh, wherever he shall. But today we look to Jonah. And of course, uh, most of us have heard of Jonah. Uh, if you've ever been to vacation Bible school, often Jonah is sort of uh, one of the ones that is... In fact, I think we did Jonah at Grace and Coleman two years ago. Is that right? 2021? I can't remember. Uh, and Jonah is sometimes... We, we, we think about the great the fish, the, the belly of the whale, the three days, uh, three nights in the belly. But there's so much more to Jonah's story than that. And I think you all are beyond vacation uh, Bible school age, so we can kind of delve into that this morning. Well, Jonah, uh, verse 1, chapter 1 of, of the book of Jonah, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So that's often the case. A prophet, the word of the Lord will come to him. The word of God will approach uh, and come into a prophet. And so um, that's not an irregular um, way to start uh, a prophetic book. But here's the kicker. What happens in the next verse? Uh, verse 3, actually. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So normally, uh, the word of the Lord comes, and folks, oftentimes, the prophets respond in faith. Jonah does the exact opposite. He rejects it and runs away. And he goes to Tarshish. He's in the opposite direction of where he's been called to go. And so he goes down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, what a curious phrase that is, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, where can you go? Can you all identify a geographical location for me where you can flee the presence of the Lord? That's a pretty tall order. Of course, we confess that God uh, is everywhere. 
Uh, and of course, as Christians, even more so, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, he's got mastery over all of his handiwork. And so he can appear uh, and be anywhere he wants to be. And of course, as we fill that out with a Trinitarian theology, we know by the Spirit, even more so, uh, the Spirit who hovered over the waters in creation. The Spirit, too, uh, being fully God, uh, is anywhere He wants to be. And then, that again, the second person of the Trinity, the Word, the Logos, uh, the Son. Uh, the Son can be anywhere He wants to be. So what a bold claim for, for Jonah to try to flee the presence of the Lord. And I think being a good Jew, uh, Jonah would have known this is impossible. I mean, I think intellectually he knows this is not the case. I cannot flee God. But he's going to try. He's going to try just in case. And so he goes. He finds himself on a ship. And you'll remember uh, the folks on the ship who uh, are not Jews themselves. Um, they try for a while. They, they're throwing things overboard. There's a great, there's a great uh, storm that comes their way. And so they, they try and they try and they try. And they realize the obvious. This is his fault. And so eventually he's thrown into the sea as well. Let's stop there for just a moment. I know I'm kind of skipping around all here in chapter 1. And if you've got a Bible, that's fine, or on your phone. But uh, I think most of us are familiar enough with the story. But how true is this of our own experience? I'm not speaking for you, but I'm speaking for me. Often it's clear what God is calling us to do. Oftentimes uh, it's, it's undeniable uh, what God might be speaking to us. And yet we kind of hedge our bets, don't we? We wait around to see if maybe that's the case. Or even worse, uh, we do what Jonah does, and we run away. I want you to reflect on that for a moment, when that perhaps might have happened in your life, or perhaps it's happening right now. These things do occur. I know early on uh, I was converted to Christianity uh, in my teenage years, and I remember having a, a very clear sense that God was calling me to, to ministry to preach. And I was clear about that to uh, a couple of my family, but for a long time, it's not that I was running, maybe I was, uh, but I tried to go be an engineer for a little bit. That didn't work out. Then I tried to be a musician. That didn't work out. I tried to be a philosopher. That did not work out. And eventually, uh, full circle, uh, God did exactly what uh, he had told me he was going to do. So maybe that wasn't the most active version of running, but maybe in a passive way it was. Can you all relate to that at all in your own lives? Where you just know God was calling you to something and you just went 180 the opposite way. Well, as it turns out, uh, like Liam Neeson, uh, God will find you. <laughs> Remember the movie Taken? I mentioned that at 9 o'clock. Uh, he will find you. Uh, he's got resources to do so. And so uh, Jonah finds himself uh, confessing to these sailors. Uh, the people are asking about him. He says, okay, here I am. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. It's fascinating that he says that. Uh, he fears the Lord. That's almost as if he's saying, you know, I honor the Lord, I keep his commandments. But you and I both know, based on the narrative, he's not so fearful of the Lord in that sense, in that sort of proverb sense of fearing the Lord and keeping, uh, keeping his commandments. He's running away. So the men were exceedingly afraid in verse 10. They said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And sure enough, uh, the men tried to row back to land, uh, but they couldn't do it. And so eventually they do exactly what uh, he asked them to do and what they knew they had to do. 
And they called out to the Lord. This is what's fascinating. They call out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So even in Jonah's fleeing in that moment, uh, he moves these people's hearts toward, towards God. He moves them towards God. I mean, it's funny, he's trying to run from God, and God is still using that, and they're worshiping him on the boat. It's just it's fascinating, isn't it? Well, the part you're probably more familiar with, of course, uh, we move into uh, this portion where he's swallowed by the great fish, and he offers up that prayer. Uh, and he, Jonah is sort of uh, given up, it seems like. He's given up. He's going back to his, his faith and his, his resources. And he offers this prayer in chapter 2. And as you read this prayer um, in chapter 2, and if you don't have it before you, I'll read a little bit of it here. Uh, but maybe something of it resonates with you. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That concludes his prayer. And then the very next verse, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, how many of us have been in that situation where we've gone astray, we've done what we know we were not supposed to do? As we confess, we've done what we ought not to do. And what's our recourse when we do that? Well, Jonah is a man of faith. I mean, despite his great follies, despite, despite his... Uh, cowardice, despite his failure here, uh, his instinct is right to turn back unto God. He's repented in some measure. Now you could say and you can argue that he's doing it for self-preservation, and of course that's true, and I think for you and I, we know often uh, we're just so self-interested. Even as we try to be faithful in our praying, often it's, it's self-centric, it's selfish, uh, and we can't see beyond our own plight. And yet God hears that. God seems to even hear that. Even uh, us lowly sinners who've done wrong in the face of God, uh, He still forgives us as we confess our sins. And so He spits them out on dry land, the fish. The fish obeys the Word of God. It's funny, the fish obeys God better than Jonah does. That's, that's pretty telling right there. Well, you think this would be transformative for Jonah. Uh, and so you would think this would inspire his faith. He'd want to go proclaim God's Word. And eventually he does... Uh, but he does it begrudgingly. So he's still called. He's still called. Again, chapter 3 starts the same formula. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, same thing, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So this time Jonah knows, I have nowhere to run. Liam Neeson has found me. I have nowhere to go. And so he goes begrudgingly uh, to Nineveh. 
Now, Nineveh, this is, of course, the, the capital at the time of, of Babylon. This is sort of a, uh, the place, Babylon, the great enemy of, of Israel. And you start to realize why Jonah is begrudgingly not wanting to go. This is his enemy. This is his nation's sworn enemy. And where Jonah is situated in the scriptures, so Jonah is, of course, one of the book of the Twelve, the minor prophets, as we sometimes call it. And after Jonah, do you know what book comes after Jonah? Micah is the next book, Micah. And so many of us are familiar with Micah because usually in the season of Advent, uh, we hear a portion from Micah. And then right after Micah is um, in this little sort of trifecta, Nahum. And so all three of these books are dealing with what does God do with these people, Nineveh? And so Jonah is one example. You'll know the end. I'll go ahead and give the end here. Uh, The people do repent. They receive uh, God's word and they repent. And not just the people, but as you read the text, the livestock, the cows are also uh, repenting, which is just, again, fascinating. The cows and the fish are more obedient than Jonah. Well, Micah is sort of this hinge between Jonah and Nahum. Micah kind of leaves a lot of hope and a lot of promise, even in the face of uh, destruction and damnation and uh, God's wrath. And so Nahum comes as uh, the bookend of this, these three books, and Nahum shows uh, that God does, in fact, uh, punish the wicked who do not uh, repent. And so this is not me. This is uh, Old Testament scholars, and particularly uh, Mark Jonalette, who, uh, of course, taught here and taught on this from time to time, I'm sure. But Micah is sort of that hinge. So Jonah shows one possibility, and Nahum shows another. Historically, um, of course, uh, Jonah is, is an interesting book because we know that not everyone uh, in, in due time, based on Nahum, not everyone repented. The people in the land there did, but over time the generation became wicked again, and God has his wrath. But Micah kind of gives a possibility of either or. And so for you and me, the takeaway, this is outside of the scope of Jonah directly, but the takeaway is when the word comes, we ought not be like Jonah. We receive the word, we hear it, and it should move us uh, to repentance and to faith. So let me jump back uh, here to where we are in chapter 3. Jonah, uh, and this is a short book, I know I'm kind of glossing over a lot of it, uh, but Jonah goes and uh, begrudgingly he says out, he calls out to the people. He says, yet 40 days, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So the word even reached the king, and he rose from his throne, and he removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Of course, this is that Jewish practice of of lamenting and repenting over one's sins. So they've adopted that practice uh, as well, these uh, people of the nations, the Gentiles. And the king issues a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So this is probably for you and me on some level, kind of thankful for state-run religion from time to time. This is a decree from the king, and everyone receives it. Everyone in the land receives it, including the livestock, and they do exactly as uh, the king tells them to do, exactly uh, as Jonah's word to them proclaimed if they don't turn. And so in verse 10, God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, 
God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So God's promises uh, are made sure there uh, that those with a contrite heart who turn to him, he will forgive them. Not as a condition. This is where we often can get wrong. We could say uh, it's conditional. God's love is conditional. But what we see here is uh, the word of prophecy coming to be. Jonah the prophet speaking the word and the people responding in faith. That word uh, received by the people created faith in them. It's not the way you and I perhaps do it now. Uh, And admittedly, as a person from the pulpit and the lectern, I often don't preach the way Jonah preached. Um, and, And part of that is because I don't see it always being effective. Obviously, it was in this time and this place. But also because in Christ, uh, we receive a fuller word of this word. Yes, there is uh, a truth that we are sinners, and we know that too well. Uh, But often in churches, and I've been guilty of this before. I remember giving a youth sermon years ago before I was at the Advent, and it was very much a turn or burn kind of sermon. And I think some youth certainly hear that. I'm one of those who heard it when I was 14. There is effectiveness in it, but... Uh, we, we need not move away from the message of grace, thinking this is the only way. And yet here it is in Jonah, it, it seems to be the way. God turns the people's hearts in fear, of, uh, in fear of punishment. Now where's the kicker of all this? The kicker is, yes, God does exactly what he promised he would do. But in chapter 4, this is where you and I perhaps come back into the picture. Chapter 4, God has done what he's done, and it begins. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry now can you imagine that i mean i say jonah's a failure in a sense but jonah actually is very successful his word has converted hundreds maybe thousands of people i don't think they're numbered here uh, but you think about the effectiveness of his sermon i mean he's really he's really actually quite successful in what he's been called to do and yet the failure is uh, he he doesn't see the good in it he sees it as a bad thing he's displeased displeased exceedingly and he was angry. Now, who among us has not been there? We've seen uh, our brothers and sisters. Uh, perhaps God has blessed them. Uh, God has brought them to a good place. And we feel jealous. We feel a little angry. Perhaps we, uh, we want a little bit of what they have. Or even worse, not even that, we just want to see them suffer. I mean, I'm just being honest for a minute here. I, I look out sometimes and I say, God, how could you possibly bless this person? This is a, a terrible person. And you see what's in that kind of statement? There's an implicit belief that I'm holy and righteous and good, and I deserve all of God's good blessings. That's the sort of insidious part of all of this, that Jonah and for you and me who are people of faith, sometimes we lose the message and begin to think that we are the holy ones. We're the righteous ones, not by faith, but by deed. And that's where this gets really dark. So he prays to God. And he says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you, I knew, I knew it. I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Of course, he's quoting Exodus chapter 34 there, that formula here over and over and over and over and over again, uh, that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This makes Jonah mad, that God would be exactly who he is, that he would keep his promise and behave uh, in accordance with who he has promised to always be. Therefore, his prayer continues, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, <laughs> for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord answers, he says, Do you do well to be angry? 
Those are some uh, cutting words from the Lord. I mean, I hear a little bit of mercy in that, but I also hear a little bit of just a poke uh, to Jonah. Is this really who you are? Is this really uh, good for you to be that angry? But can you all relate to that? I mean, can you look out and just, I mean, I get on Facebook and it's one of the most toxic forums in the whole uh, history of the universe. And you just see people doing well and you're like, oh, God, can you just, can you send them a disease or something? Can you get them fired from their job? Can their kid flunk out of that private school? I'm tired of you being so good to them. And yet, this is, this is who God is. And so the question is posed to you and to me, do we do well to be so angry about that? I think we know the obvious answer. It does nobody any good to harbor that kind of anger towards our brothers and sisters, and yet alone God himself. And so the story ends, Jonah goes out, and he's seen the fruit of the preaching. He sees this land, these people uh, who've been converted. I mean, the preaching has been effective. So he, he goes out of the city, and he sits down at the east side and makes a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what had become of the city. Verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad, that same formula, exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. It's a little dramatic, don't you think? And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night, in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, here's the number, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. St. Francis would be happy. The cattle aren't forgotten. And that's how the text ends. I mean, it's almost posed as a question. You know, what are we going to do with this word? Israel received this text, and of course the church does too. What are we going to do with this? I mean, here we are. Uh, historically, we have this uh, account, and it becomes sort of a parable too for you and me. Are we going to are we going to freely dole out God's Word? Are we going to hoard it for ourselves? Are we going to be willing to go out and share uh, the good news of Christ and even, yes, uh, Jonah's Word, uh, that God does not relent uh, from punishment, that God takes sin very seriously? The question mark is posed to you and me. I mean, are we going to be serious about this kind of Word? And of course, Jonah is upset and he's mad about these people, and he gets even more mad that God would bring this plant and then take it away. But I think it's sort of, a, again, a parable, a reminder in Jonah's own life uh, that he's not in control. Uh, he believes he was fleeing, that he's in control, and of course God brings him back through the fish. Uh, and even after prophesying, he believes he's going to sit back and just watch. And God has a continual reminder. He's showing him, look, I'm right here. You're not in control. Yes, you preach my word, but it's my word. And it goes out and does what it's going to do. So are you along for the ride or are you not? Are you going to enjoy the fruit of this good preaching, this word that's come out? Or are you going to begrudge it the whole night, the whole day? Jonah, undoubtedly, uh, empirically, these people have converted. He is a success in one sense, uh, but a failure in the sense that continually he does not have love in his heart for these people. 
And that's the call of Israel, to be a blessing to all the nations, uh, to share the love of God uh, through, uh, through their way of life, through their preaching, through hospi- hospitality. That was their call from the very beginning, uh, from Abram. And even before that, as you look uh, at God's promises to the patriarchs before, uh, God had a plan that went beyond simply those chosen people. The chosen are chosen not because they're good, not because they're righteous, not because they're proficient or holy, but they're chosen so that they can be a blessing to others. And so Jonah's failure is he doesn't want to be a blessing to others. He wants to hoard it for himself. And again, you and I can relate to that, I think. Uh, We get jealous and we look out on whether it be Facebook or in uh, real life, and and we, we don't do well to be angry over that. So I wanted to kick this series off with Jonah because he, to me, is over and over again sort of the paradigm of, yes, uh, someone who believes, and I believe, Lord, help my unbelief, I believe, uh, but he's the paradigm of even if someone who believes, it's like the message is not always reaching uh, where I really live. And so this word calls out uh, that we don't want to be people who just believe in our heads. We don't want to be people who simply confess with our lips but as our prayer of uh, great, the great Thanksgiving says, not only in our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to thy service. I can relate to Jonah because often I sit and I pout and I see what God's doing. And this is just me being honest, but I look out at other churches and I see that God has blessed them. And you would think, kind of like in uh, the Gospels, when Jesus says, he who is not against me is for me. You would think I would delight in that. Oh, Church of the Highlands is doing well, or in Coleman, Desperation Church when I was there. But I get so mad. You know, I get so mad. I want them to come to, to our church and to hear our, our word and our tradition that's come down. But that's not holy, is it? That's wrong. And so Jonah's a continual reminder that I can sit and pout, but the sun is just going to scorch my forehead. All that sitting and pouting is not doing me any good. Why not partner? Why not see the good that God has done? And, and make an attempt, not just to share His Word, that's our first and foremost call is to preach His Word and proclaim it, but also to go see the fruit of the Gospel uh, wherever it may land. Whether it's at the Church of the Advent or in Birmingham, uh, we should delight uh, that God's Word is going out. So I hold this out to you not to go run from the Lord, not as an example of saying, go do this, uh, not as uh, an example of how to be angry, but perhaps uh, a reflection of who we often are uh, in our own lives and how we are uh, upset at God for doing exactly what He said He would do. And so um, I want to open it up now for discussion. You're certainly not obligated to discuss, but did any of that reach you at all? I see some of you smiling and nodding. But um, Can you relate to that, though? You look out at other churches and think, God, how could you bless that? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I see you nodding. You don't have to. You don't have to name names, but but you highlighted that truth. And again, um, yeah, the, the the point of God choosing Israel, uh, choosing uh, to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of course uh, their progeny was not so that they could hold it and be this holy society, you know, in the middle in the Middle East, so to speak, at the uh, the hinge of of the world, but so that that word could go out, and that everyone uh, might be blessed by God's choosing of Israel. And so, yeah, we, we are grafted into that. That's our call, too. Not to be a holy society set apart simply for our own uh, pleasures, uh, but to be in the world, too. Uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to the end that sh- uh, those who would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's not a word to be hoarded. 
Yeah, I don't know the method in which. So the question was, yeah, uh, or the the response is in defense of Jonah. Um, you know, going to Nineveh might have been a dangerous thing. He might have been killed, and undoubtedly he was walking into uh, enemy territory. And so, but you know, the text doesn't say anything about him fearing the people. I think he knows who's on his side, and he knows God can preserve him. And of course, God does that. God brings him out of the belly of the fish. But yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe you and I can kind of use that as a defense, saying, well, Lord, it's, it's really hard. It's like going go to the Iron Bowl and wearing an orange and blue shirt, but you're in Tuscaloosa. Like, that's, that's scary. Or just flip it if you're the other team. And I know that's, that's not a good analogy given yesterday's games. I'm so terribly sorry for, for <laughs> both halves of the room, so to speak. Paige and I were talking about that, though, about college football and how you know friendly some environments are and how hostile others are. And have any of you been to Death Valley? Have you gone to an LSU game? And I mean, that's pretty hostile, right? Like that's that's enemy territory uh, for sure. But to your point, yeah, I mean, this this is could be a death sentence. I mean, it very well could be. I don't know if they stone people to death. I don't know the method by which the Babylonians uh, did that sort of thing. But uh, they were a rough and tough bunch. And so, yeah, maybe on some level, maybe. Uh, from a human perspective, we can say, yeah, I get it. And we see that with the three young men in the furnace. You know, they're, they're burning in the fire. They, they do not step down. I mean, they know that God is on their side. They, they trust in that. So Jonah is definitely, unfortunately, like you and me, that we would be like, oh, that's too tough, God. I'm sorry. I can't do that. Uh, but we have plenty of other instances in Scripture where uh, frail, weak people still believe God and, and face, face the music. We saw that today in Genesis. Uh, if you if you heard the Genesis reading, I don't know in the nave if that was the, the first lesson or not, but eventually Jacob kind of faces the music. He's going to go face his brother Esau. Uh, whatever happens, happens. And, um, of course, God preserves him. And even more so, God, and we'll talk about Jacob in two weeks, but God not only preserves him but restores his relationship with his brother. Uh, forgiveness is the fruit of, of faith uh, for, for Jacob. So yeah, I don't think we can let Jonah off the hook for that. I'm, I'm sorry to say. But you're right. I mean, I'm, if I'm being honest, like, yeah, I want to run and hide too. Yeah, and you know, I want to talk about that too in just a moment. But you're right. I mean, that's the ultimate. He, he doesn't fear death. He's saying, Lord, kill me. Take me. I mean, he, he kind of wants death. And he's, in the face of uh, what I'm about to see, I'd rather, I'd rather not see someone from Tuscaloosa or Auburn convert. I'd rather just die. That's what he's saying. Like, I, I can't stand to hear... Uh, their, their battle cry, Roll Tide or War Eagle. I can't stand it. Lord, you don't love them. Just kill me. I'd rather not see it. I mean, that, you're exactly right, Jay. That's, that's what's going on. And then, yeah, this prefigurement of Christ. I love that you brought that in. And, of course, uh, Jesus uses Jonah when he's, when he's talking about the resurrection. He, he talks about, he, he's using it in the sign of Jonah, he mentions. Uh, that, that Jonah was in the, the belly of the whale for three nights, and then he emerged. Of course, that's a prefigurement of him being in the belly of the grave of the earth, Christ himself dying, uh, going to, um, as the creed says, going to hell or Hades, as uh, the Greek word, and then three days later, rising again. But the opposite of Jonah, he wants it to be a blessing to the whole world. Jonah emerges wanting still to hoard it from himself, begrudgingly saying the words he's been uh, told to, to say and um, hoping against hope that it won't be effective. But it's effective. Christ, or excuse me, God's word is effective, uh, and we see that in Jonah. And then we, as, as you mentioned, Jay, we see that ultimately fulfilled in Christ Himself, uh, the Word made flesh. 
It's funny. I mean, Jonah is, again, in this, in this class, for this context, I think you and I uh, can call him a failure in that, what I just said. I mean, he was successful in his preaching career, but a failure in that he missed the whole point. He missed the point that God is a loving God. God delights, God delights in um, changing people's hearts. As Ashley Knowles says, He delights in giving heart transplants. And he just gave a heart transplant to 120,000 people. And where Jonah fails is he, he's not along for the ride in a, in a joyous way. He is the older brother at the party with his arms crossed, his nose in the corner. You remember the prodigal son? The older brother is he's so upset that the father could be gracious, that the father could forgive. And so that's a great parable too, and not one we'll discuss in this class so much, but um, whether you feel like you're the younger brother or the older brother, when it comes to party time, I think we all want to be the younger brother. We all want to celebrate in God's mercies and not have our head in the corner saying, when will this be over? And again, I won't spell out. I've given you a few examples of other churches, perhaps of people who root for other teams. But I know we all have those people on our heart that we just can't stand, and we can't stand when they're doing well. Um, We can't stand even more so if they're Christian and they're doing well because they just don't deserve it. But again, what's, what's implicit in that? What's implicit is we believe that we are the good ones, and that's where this all goes awry. Jonah, I think, is holding on to the idea that he's, he's the righteous one. They don't deserve it. We do, God. And that's where I think it holds a mirror up for you and me, and I think we realize we're not the righteous ones. We read this text. Jonah is shown over and over again, you are not the righteous one. You're called out to be, but you're not living into it. And so the plant uh, at the very end I don't know what the plant is for you and for me, but God undoubtedly uh, does raise a plant up and then sometimes uh, puts it to death before us to humble us. Jacob, who walked away today uh, in the encounter, he walked away with a, a hip and a limp that was uh, maimed and, and disabled. St. Paul talks about uh, having that thorn in his flesh. All these things point together, this plant that withers. Uh, God shows who's in control, not because he needs attention, not because he's Uh, just lusting for recognition. But I think he teaches us and shows us that we are not self-sufficient and that all that happens in us and through us, and even in Jonah's case, despite us, it's God who's the effective agent, not you and not me. So again, I hold him out not as an example of what we should do, but perhaps a reflection of who we are if we're being honest And the question remains to us, do we do well to be angry? Do we do well uh, to sit here and see God's fruit and God's blessing outside of us? Do we do well uh, to ignore it or even worse, to see it uh, and to hate it? So that's the question held out. And again, if I'm being honest, too often I'm like Jonah. I'm sitting and pouting. But the invitation of Christ is that we, we ought not do that. Not that we ought not, but there's a better way. There's a better way to rejoice and to celebrate and God's mercies. With that being said, I know it's time for us to wander off to worship for those at 11, so let's close in prayer. I don't have duties at 11, so I'll hang around if you want to chat. God, we give you thanks that your word is effective. Uh, Despite ourselves, Lord, we're just broken vessels. We ask that you would still use us uh, to proclaim your love in this world, and not just in word only, Lord, but that the message would actually reach down to the depths of our being and our hearts, and that we would live in accordance with that love and that mercy, that our life of repentance and following you uh, would be a reflection of what you've done in us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.